the book of Proverbs, chapter 12. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, we've been uh, going through the book of Proverbs uh, in some very small bite-sized pieces this summer, taking about 10 weeks or so to try to, to cover a book that you could read the rest of your life and never hit the bottom of it. Uh, so we've, we're almost to the tail end of that. Uh, two weeks from now, we're actually going to be starting another preaching series that will be much longer uh, through the Gospel of John, which I'm really excited about uh, starting on August 27th. But we have this Sunday and next Sunday uh, to finish out our trek through the book of Proverbs. And it, it's great that we ha- we're able to have a parent-child dedication during this series even because this book of the Bible is very much oriented and it was written originally as counsel from a father to his sons, as, as a parent to his children. It was written by King Solomon, uh, who was the wisest king who had lived uh, up to that point in time, and other than Christ himself, maybe one of the wisest people who've ever lived. And he was giving counsel to his children and then letting that be recorded that could then be passed on to others and passed down even in time through us about wisdom, about how to live, how to, for his sons, how to even become rulers, how to become kings maybe even themselves someday. But that God uses the words of Solomon now to give us counsel, to give us challenge and direction as his children as we seek to represent him in our world. And today's topic is a difficult one. I will tell you that up front. Um, it, it's difficult on a Sunday where we're celebrating our, our children and our families and the delightful gift that God gives us of parents and grandparents and church family to, to care for us and teach us. Uh, this topic is really can be difficult to talk about, and it's honesty. And the flip side of that, which is deceit. Uh, and God, there's sometimes as uh, preachers or pastors, you hear about people like stepping on toes, things like that. Uh, I will forewarn you that if this text is anything to you like it has done to me this week, it might be more than stepping on toes. It might be more like a punch in the face or in the stomach. Uh, that Sometimes God's word does that to us, and we need that. Uh, but this text, I think we'll see, has some hard things to hit us with, but then some sweet goodness and truth to hit us with as well uh, that comes on the end of it. But it's going to be Proverbs 12, 22. We'll read that in just a second. But this, this issue of honesty and deceit is huge. It is very, very, very important, not just for kids to learn, not just for parents to teach their kids, but for all of us, teenagers, adults uh, alike. It, this is an important issue for us of, of being honest and we know that. We seek to teach our kids honesty from very early on in their life, right? We, that's one of the things we try to ingrain in all of our children, I trust, is honesty. And one of the ways we do that is through stories. Uh, there's a very morbid one I could think of, of the boy who cried wolf, uh, which I won't recount that. Uh, but that's a pretty morbid, disturbing way uh, to try to teach honesty. But there's another story that, uh, that I would be curious. How many of you have heard the story about George Washington cutting down the cherry tree. How, how many of you have heard this? Okay. All right. So some of you have not. But if you haven't, this is a story that, especially in America, for obvious reasons, has gotten traction and become common to try to use to teach kids to be truthful. There's a story that, that's come in different forms through time. But the original story of George Washington, our first president, went like this. It was when he was a boy, probably six, seven, eight years old, that uh, he had a hatchet. His family had a hatchet, and they had a cherry tree. And sometime while his parents were not paying attention, uh, little George uh, went and cut down the t- one of the cherry trees with his hatchet. And how he could do that, I have no idea. I couldn't even do that. But his, his dad finds out about it. And then this is what the original version records. It says that when his father discovered what had been done, he became angry and confronted George. 
And young George bravely said, this might be the phrase that some of you have lodged in your memory, he bravely said, I cannot tell a lie. And then the original version said, I did cut it with my hatchet, or I did cut down the cherry tree. And it says that Washington's father embraced him and rejoiced that his son's honesty was worth more than a thousand trees. That's how the story was originally recorded. And to my surprise, as I read about that this week, because it was kicking around in my brain, I read more about this story because I had always heard that in school and whatnot. That never happened. Do you get the irony of this? This did not actually happen. Like, the way that that story originated was there's this guy, he has a neat name, his name was Pastor Mason Locke Weems, who lived around 1800, he was ministering around 1800, and after George Washington had died, he wrote a biography of George Washington, one of the very first ones, and he tried, he manufactured some stories from when uh, George was a boy to try to teach morals and try to teach virtue to kids, and this was one of the stories that he made up. Like, it didn't actually happen. There may, maybe they had trees, maybe they had a hatchet, but there was no record of this outside of his mind. But he recorded it, and then it got, later in the 1800s, it got put into some textbooks that got distributed around uh, the, the country, and it became more and more taught and more and more part of American folklore and uh, this myth that everybody believed. But do you get the irony of this? You probably did, even by your laughter, that... The story, one of the core stories in America that we use to teach kids to be honest is a lie. Like embedded in one of the, the core part attempts to teach honesty is a lie. And that should be telling to us because lying and deceit, seeking to manipulate and trick people has been a problem not just since 1800 with Mason Locke Weems, but it's been a problem since the Garden of Eden. There was a problem in King Solomon's day uh, a couple thousand years ago as he recorded some of these sayings in the book of Proverbs. And he, he wanted his sons, he wanted his kids to learn to tell the truth and to shy away from deceit. And so we're going to read this text. It's very short. It has two statements that go uh, right back to back with one another that we're really just going to look at the first and the second. And it's going to be a simple message, but I trust that the Lord would have a lot to teach us even in 2017 about honesty and about deceit. And this is what Solomon recorded for his sons, and now God would speak to us. Proverbs 12, 22 says, listen to this. This is the, the, the one that hits hard. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Those are quite the opposite statements, right? An abomination in one and a delight in, in the other. And so I want to share just two summaries of those statements because a lot of Proverbs are like this. There's a statement and there's another one that comes right on the heels of it to either uh, pump it up more or to contrast it like we have in this one. I just want to try to represent what both of these are to you. And th with this first one, the lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. What I would want to convey to us, and I think the Lord would want to speak through this word, is very simply this, is to see your deceit through the eyes of God. See your deceit through the eyes of God. Not just how you are tempted to see it, but see your deceit through the eyes of God. He says, lying lips are an abomination, and there's not a period or a semicolon there. He says, they're an abomination to the Lord. 
It's his vantage point that is depicted here. It's his perspective that is shared in this text. And his is the one that matters most. We see all sorts of things in distorted ways in our world and in our hearts and our relationships. We see them a certain way. But if the Lord sees it differently and he tells us that, we would be wise to listen. We would be wise to hear what he has to say about our deceit, how he sees our deceit, because we will fool ourselves very often. So it's articulating God's view of deceit, and he's talking about lying lips, right? What's his perspective on lying lips? That's not just our actual lips. I hope that goes without saying. It's not as if when God looks at somebody who's telling a lie, it's just he hones in right on their mouth. It's like, I hate those lips. I cannot stand those lips, how ugly those lips are. I hope this goes without saying this is a a poetic way of saying when he looks at you, when he sees me deceiving people, telling them lies, seeking to manipulate them or hide things or distort truth, when God looks at us who are lying, what does it say? It says, we are our lying lips, we are an abomination to him. That's not a word you see a lot or hear a lot, especially nowadays. It used to be more common. Yours may have translated as equally good way saying things like that. They are detestable to God. That God hates them. The, the, only word, the only common way I could think of that we use any variation of the word abominable or abomination is I was even talking to my son about this. I was like, hey, do you know what abominable means or abomination? That's, that's not normal conversation in our house, but because of this text it was. And he's like, oh, yeah, like the abominable snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And that's what most of us have in our, image, in our heads is this snowman. Usually when we think of snowman, it's like, Frosty the snowman with a corn cob pipe and a button nose and all these things, two eyes made out of coal. It's just like pleasant, peaceful, nice snowman. But the abominable snowman, if you've seen that movie, is this one who is seeking to chase people and to tear people up and to intimidate them and to he, he becomes this like haunting image of a snowman. Uh, and so when this word abomination or abominable is used. It is a strong, strong word that means things like disgusting. It means detestable. It means another uncommon word, abhorrent. Like that when God looks at us as liars, as people who are seeking to deceive people, that is what he sees. That's not typically how we think of ourselves as liars. We talk about like white lies and we justify stuff in our mind. We think lying is not that big of a deal, but the word of God speaks clear as day here and says that lying lips are an abomination to him. He hates it. He cannot stand it when he sees his creation, his people lying to one another, deceiving one another. The Lord hates it. It is an abomination to him. That's not often how we think of lying, though. So what is the big deal? Like, why does God single out lying and deceit as an abomination, as detestable to him? I want to share a couple reasons, I think, from the broader word of God, why God views lying and deceit as, in such an awful way. And it would start at the beginning, how, the start of deceit. If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, deceit was not part of the creation that God made, right? He didn't embed that into our world where people are going to be manipulating each other and lying to, to one another. What, the way that deceit started 
The way that it entered into the world was not from God. It was from the serpent who came into the garden. And he came up to Eve and apparently Adam standing with her and he deceived them. He, he twisted truth. He, he implied certain things and let them connect dots that should not have been connected. And he, he baited them into disobeying God, into believing lies instead of obeying the commands of the Lord that had made them. And when that happened, when Adam and Eve ate of that tree that God had told them to not, it plunged the human race, and all of us are on the same boat in this, plunged us into sin and onto a path that we never would get off on our own. This path not just to be deceived and be willing to listen to lies from Satan, but to become deceivers ourselves. To follow after him, to do what he did in the Garden of Eden. Jesus himself, you can read in John chapter 8, was speaking to some of his enemies, people who were hostile to God, and he said this. He said, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Speaking of the garden, he's talking about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar, and then listen to this, and the father of lies. So the way deceit started that it entered into our race and into us as individuals is that satan brought it into our world and he's become the father of lies that we now follow his example of deceiving one another of manipulating one another and so that's the start of deceit and that's part of why god hates it but there's also the heart of deceit the lying lips the lies that come out of our mouths or through our fingertips nowadays or however they come out they don't just operate on their own, right? It's not just like lies just fly out of my mouth and I have no control of them. I don't know where they came from. Lies emerge. They come out of our hearts, out of hearts that are deceitful, hearts that want to mislead people, hearts that want to control people and manipulate things and hide things and, and twist things. It comes from deceitful hearts. Jesus, in that verse we read, said that Satan speaks lies out of his own character. And that's true of us too. When lies come out of us, it's not just coming from nowhere. It's coming from a heart that wants to lie. A heart that wants to deceive people and manipulate people. It is coming out of hearts that are hostile to God and to how he has made us to live. We, we are so set on getting certain things or securing certain outcomes that we're willing to tell lies to people, to trick them, to deceive them. And so our lies are coming from hearts that are twisted, hearts that want to manipulate others. So that, there's this heart of deceit that our lies emerge from that the Lord looks at that and says, to your core you have lying problems. It isn't just something you can fix. Your heart is messed up, that you want to trick people and deceive. And some of us may be tempted when we read passages about lying lips. We may be tempted to think this text doesn't apply to us. I'm not a liar. Like, I don't, I don't lie. I'm not. Uh, there's other people who I know. They're just blatant liars, but not me. I, I don't lie. And we, I don't deceive people. But I want to try. I've been thinking about this a lot this week, of all the different ways that I, and I think probably many of you, actually do deceive in ways that we've just gotten comfortable with it. Maybe we could call it the art of deceit, if we've talked about the start of it and the heart of it. There's this art to it that's an ugly art that we've learned from the time we were little, uh, to, to deceive people and manipulate people and just to be okay with it and just think it's part of how we live. 
There's a philosopher named Blaise Pascal who said this. He said, human society is founded on mutual deceit. That's quite a statement. That, that human society is founded on mutual deceit. See if some of these are, are true of you, have been true of you uh, in your life. Uh, we don't, it doesn't take long for us, even when we're young, to learn to lie, to deceive, uh, to manipulate others. One way that we do it, though, even into adulthood, that we start early, is partial truth. Okay? It, you, or if you've had kids or been around kids, you are very familiar, and I'm sure I said this at times to my parents, things like, Mom, he hit me, which is a true statement. But it is forgetting that I punched him first, or I took something from him, or I yelled at him, or I made fun of him, or fill in the blank, whatever other truth I conveniently left out, just, Mom, he hit me. We do that as grown-ups at times, don't we? That we share details that are true, and we leave others out when we're seeking to relay things to others to try to get them to believe certain things about us or about that other person. We share partial truth. I, did, I know I did this for a fact as a kid that, uh, what I would say, playing word games, uh, where uh, I, uh, I can't remember specifics, but I know there would be times where I'd be asked, like, did you hit him? And I, I thought in my integrity, I could say, no, I didn't hit him. And in my head, I'm thinking, I smacked him with my hand. Like, but I think that I'm being honest and like I'm telling the truth. There's no actual lie coming out of my life. I'm like twisting that I'm playing, I'm playing word games and we do that as adults sometimes. We seek to use words that are close to something to convey a certain thing and want to leave an impression with somebody when we really know there's something more to it. But we, we play word games. There's times where we deceive just by being silent. I think of like as a little bit older if you're playing video games in another room and you know you hear your mom telling you to take out the trash, you hear her clear as day. But you just keep playing, acting as if you didn't hear her. Acting at, through your actions of, oh, I didn't hear that. Like That's a deceitful way to live, to pretend uh, to be silent. So you're not actually saying a lie, but you are deceiving. You are manipulating another person. I, w I would say this, often when we're talking about honesty, we think that the goal is just to not actually say a lie. Like, thou shalt not lie. We think, as long as a lie doesn't actually come out of my mouth, I'm good. But the, the more of what God's doing is, you need to tell the truth. Like, proactively, be honest, be a person of integrity who represents the truth, not just that doesn't actually have lies seep through your teeth. There's times that we deceive people by, uh, some people call it feigning ignorance. Like I pretend that I don't know, like when you get pulled over, for example, and hopefully that doesn't happen to you very often, the officer asks you questions like, do you know what the speed limit is, ma'am? Or do you know how fast you were going, sir? And you know full well what the speed limit is and what the, how fast you were going. You're like, no, officer, I don't know that. I didn't know how, fa how fast was I going. Like, that's this subtle way where you are pretending you're ignorant. You're pretending you don't know something when you actually do. We do that all the time. 
There's times that we let people make wrong connections, wrong inferences in our conversation. I was at an event a simulcast here in town this week uh, called the Global Leadership Summit, which was excellent. I really appreciated uh, being able to go to it. They had this comedian named Michael Jr. Uh, who was on there, and he was joking about, uh, he was saying, you know what is really uh, like a good idea that I think you should do? Name your dog Grandma. He was like, you might wonder why. He said, you know why it comes in handy? Like if somebody calls you up and says, hey, are you busy? You want to do such and such? You can say to them, oh, I'm sorry, man. I got to walk grandma. I got to take grandma on a walk. And what you mean is your dog, like you're taking your dog on a walk, but you're using it as an excuse to convey something to this person to make them feel like, oh, sympathetic, and to give you like an out to not go hang out with them. We do stuff like that all the time. Like where we say one thing, where we convey something to try to get somebody to connect some dots that we want them to connect when really we mean something else. We make excuses to not go do something. There's all sorts of ways that we do this. Keep piling these up because I, I want us to not feel like we can get out of this fact that we are an abomination to the Lord. There are ways that we, like, we deceive people by exaggerating. Like we, we take details and we expand them to, to make ourselves seem better or other people to seem worse, to make something seem more impressive or to downplay accomplishments of someone else. We exaggerate. We pad details. We flatter people. That's the way that we deceive people. We, there's somebody we want something from or we want them to, to be in our good graces and so we over-compliment them. Say, man, your haircut looks so nice when we don't mean that at all. Like, we want them to think that we think it looks nice. Uh, we, we tell them how wonderful they are when we don't really believe that, and we turn around and say the exact opposite to other people. Or we flatter them. We, we think because it's nice, it's okay to say, but it is an act of deceit. We spread gossip. We, we share rumors about people that we know probably aren't true, but we sometimes will convey them as if they are true. And we deceive and we spread lies. We make promises that we have no intention of keeping. Like saying, I'll pray for you when we know we're not going to pray for them. When we, when we say, oh, that's a good idea. I'll talk to so-and-so about that. Let me check on that. When you have zero intent to check on it, you've already made up your mind. Like we use language like that all the time to trick people, to deceive people, to manipulate situations. We even just non-verbally, sometimes we, I'm guilty of this sometimes. I, I pretend like I'm listening to somebody when I'm really not listening to them. Like, that's a deceitful act. Like, where you want them to think you're listening, that you're paying attention to them when you're really not. You could care less what they have to say. There's a million ways we deceive, that we lie. Many of them may seem small to us, but I promise, I, or I almost would promise in this room, this size, there are some of you who have told bigger and bigger lies. That even significant parts of your life are built on deceit. That on your resumes, in your conversations with, in relationships that you have, uh, that in the backstories that you tell about your life, you, you lie, you deceive. It's gotten you places, and there's guilt that comes in your heart. There are some of you who have built lies upon deceit. You cover things up. And to whether we are small liars or big liars, I want us to see our deceit how God sees it. He says lying lips are an abomination to him. They are horrible in his sight. 
And there's this, this weird art that we've developed. There's this gross effect, I think, is another reason why God hates our deceit, is this effect it has on other people. This effect it has even internally on ourselves. Because we're all people that God has made in his image that he wants to thrive and flourish. And our deceit is one of the major things that prevents that. It's one of the major things that keeps us as humans from flourishing. Internally, as we are people who deceive, we can start to develop shame. And somewhat rightfully so. That we can start to feel uneasy about ourselves and frustrated with ourselves and shame. Why do I keep lying? Why do I keep doing this? We can feel internally this unease, like, man, I've told so many lies, I don't even know who I told what. And it is this crushing weight as you try to deceive so many people to keep those lies all spinning and to keep all those details in line in your mind. That is not how the Lord wants us to live. If you speak honestly, you don't have to worry about remembering lies that you told. When it comes to other people, the effects, we have this broken trust that comes when we deceive others, and especially when they find out about it. That when I've lied to someone, when I've deceived them, there's a trust that is broken, and rightfully so, that that person, it may take years or the rest of their life to learn to trust you again. There's disunity that comes when we deceive and when we lie to others. That we cannot work together when we don't trust one another, when we can't believe what is coming out of other people's hearts. There's disunity that comes. And there is pain that comes in the heart of others that we place there for our own convenience, to make ourselves feel better, to get out of certain things. There is pain that comes to other people through our deceit. And so we need to start to see deceit the way that God does, that it is an abomination to him. This is a major, major problem for us. If we really believe the word of God and we really believe and understand that we are liars, every one of us, the reality should start to sink into us that I am an abomination to God. Like I lie to people in small ways and big ways regularly and God hates it can't stand it so what how could i ever please him? how could i ever become his delight that's what he says next those who act faithfully are his delight how can that possibly be for a liar like me so with the second statement I, what i want to say to you very simply is not just to see your deceit the way god sees it but very simply to become his delight because you can Become his delight. There is good news for liars like me and liars like you. There is good news. There's Solomon, even though he talked about telling the truth, he never lived up to this. He was a deceiver. His sons who came after him were deceivers. Every human being, including in this room, including on this podium, is a deceiver. That we do not have the capacity to act faithfully on our own. We are an abomination to God. But there is one person and I trust most of you already know who I'm talking about, who came into this world and lived the entire, imagine this, lived the entirety of a human life without ever lying, without ever deceiving Mary or Joseph, this is the, the Jesus is the person I'm speaking of, without ever deceiving his mom or dad, without ever spreading rumors that weren't true, or playing word games, or saying, oh, I didn't hit James, I, I smacked James. He wouldn't have done that in the first place. Uh, he, he lived an entire life without deceiving, without lying. Can you imagine that? 
1 Peter 2, 22, one of his closest friends wrote this. He said that Jesus committed no sin and neither was deceit found in his mouth. He never told a lie. He never sinned, period, but lying was among them. That He never deceived. But this is where the good news comes in. When it came to the end of his life, when it came to die upon the cross, he looked out across humanity and saw liar after liar after liar after deceiver after deceiver and said, Father, take their deceit, even the ones they've told about me, and place them on my account. They place them on my back. Let me become an abomination to you. Let me be crushed for their lie. And that is what happened. The innocent one, the truth teller, took our lies and many other sins, our lies and our deceit that we tend to justify. He took them all upon himself and was crushed for them was put to death for them, became an abomination on our behalf, suffering the judgment that should have come for our lives. And he was laid in a tomb, having been placed to death. And for a few days he laid in that grave. But then on the third day, on the, on the Sunday morning long ago, the Father looked at Christ again, and having now poured out all of the anger, having given out all the judgment that should have been coming to us, And having fully put that on Christ, he looked at Christ again and is pleased with him. He said, even to death he obeyed me. Even to the point of death he obeyed me and I delight in him. And in that tomb, I don't know how it happened, but he raised him back up to life and he left it and he is alive on the throne of heaven right now, having been crushed for our lives and risen from the dead. And now Jesus tells us liars, us deceivers, he says, you can come to the Father with me. You can come to God the Father, the one you've wronged, the one who looks at you and yourself and sees an abomination. You can come to the Father. You can become his delight with me. I have conquered death. I've been crushed for your sins and for your lies. And if we do that, if we will turn from our sins, if we will repent of our sins and put our trust in Christ, this verse becomes true of us, that we become God's delight. Can you understand the magnitude of that? Like us who are an abomination to him become his delight when we come to him through Christ. That is good news that I cannot even comprehend. Some of you, though, if you're honest, you may look at this text and say, uh, I, think you're, uh, <laughs> I think you're not reading this right, because it says, those who act faithfully are his delight, right? And you've been telling us, Pastor Mark, that, that we don't act faithfully. Where are you getting this? It is very true that Solomon, as he was saying this to his sons, as he was recording it, that he lived thousands of years before Christ came. Right? He, he lived 2,000 plus years before Christ ever came into this world. And it's true that he was trying to make simple observations about how lying is detestable to God. And God prefers, God delights in those who tell the truth, those who act faithfully or morally faithful to him. And so you could read a text like this and just hear, stop telling lies, start telling the truth. Stop telling lies because God hates it, start telling the truth. That's what God loves. And I will tell you this, 
Some of you may have heard sermons like that before. The deceiver, Satan, would love, love, love for you to hear a sermon about honesty and all you hear to be, stop lying, start telling the truth. Stop lying, start telling the truth. This is bad, this is right. Stop this, do this. The deceiver would love for you to hear that and to never remember Christ. Because that is, that is pumped out in secular philosophy classrooms and ethics classes and in mosques and in tabernacles. That, that, that moral philosophy is pumped out everywhere apart and without Christ in it. And if all you seek to do is stop lying and start telling the truth, you will still be an abomination to God because you cannot act faithfully to him. Honesty does not impress him if it's done out of duty or out of obligation or out of guilt. It is what the honest life, the faithful life that honors the Lord, he tells us throughout the word, is one that flows out of faith in Christ, out of gladness for the one that came to be my Savior. And now I tell the truth out of love for him, out of gladness for what he's done for me and how he wants me to live. That is what will honor the Lord. That is what delights him. Jesus said this himself. If, if for those of you who are tempted to believe that you can become God's delight on your own, you've heard this verse, I bet most of you. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth. Not just I tell the truth, I am the truth and the life. And then he said this, I want you to hear this loud and clear. No one comes to the Father except through me. You cannot tell your truth enough to get into heaven. You could tell no more lies the rest of your life and you will still be an abomination to the Lord. But if you come today in brokenness before the Lord and say, I am a liar, I deceive people, I, I manipulate people, small ways, big ways, but I'm coming to you through Christ, the one who was crushed for me, the one who was raised for me, the Lord will delight in you today. There is no record you need to earn up with him, no, no credit you need to build up with him. He will be, you will become his delight today if you come to him through Christ. And it is true that God then, as we come to him in faith in Christ and in repentance, that as we now are given the ability to act faithfully, like Solomon describes here, to actually do right, and we're given the Holy Spirit to obey and resist temptations and to do godly good deeds, we actually do start to live a life then that is delightful in the sight of the Lord, that he can look at and say, I am pleased with that. I, I am grateful for your obedience that is flowing out of a faith in Christ. And so we are called to act faithfully. We are called to tell the truth as God's people. We need to stop justifying our deceit. Stop justifying the little lies that we tell and the white lies that we tell to people, telling ourselves that these don't harm anyone, that it's actually for their good or for my good, that I'm deceiving. Part of acting faithfully is when I start to see these things, I bet you will start to see some of them even today. If you're anything like me, haven't been affected by this text this week. If you, as you start to see some of the subtle ways you deceive people, as the subtle ways that you lie to people, when you start to see those Repent of them quickly. Say, man, Lord, this is grievous that I treat people like this. Please forgive me. Please help me. And he will. And we're called to turn from that, to seek to establish new patterns of obedience. We need to be people who tell true stories, people who share accurate details, 
people who don't hide things for our own convenience. We need to paint a full picture of what's taking place when we're recounting events. We don't need to be people who say, I swear this happened, blah, 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 blah. Everything that comes out of your mouth should be true. You should have no need to say, I promise you, Dad, I, I'm telling you, like, I swear this is true. That should not even ever need to come out of our mouths because we should be people who are marked by truth-telling and integrity and honesty. And I'll say this as an aside. I don't want anyone, including myself, and the Lord wouldn't either, to use honesty as an excuse to do other things that are abominable to God. Some people would love to say, this phrase, I'm just being honest, and then boom, like here comes the mother load of like ugliness and frustration. I'm just telling you the truth. Because there's other verses around this one that you can look at that talk about how there's times where we don't cover things up for our own convenience, but we do need to conceal. We need to be careful about the truth that we wield with others out of love for them, not out of a desire to protect ourselves or get things ourselves. We need to be honest, but not to the point of rudeness or disdain for others. And as we seek to act faithfully, to live honestly, it's going to have a good effect on others. It's going to have peace that comes within our own souls, that we don't have to carry around this guilt and this wondering, when are people going to find me out, or how can I keep all these lies spinning? It's going to have uh, a positive effect on the relationships we have, that trust is going to be maintained. Our trust is going to be slowly restored in others as we seek to tell the truth. And there will be unity that comes as we tell the truth to one another. And don't have to always wonder, is she lying to me? Is he lying to me? There's going to be unity uh, that comes as we seek to tell the truth. started by telling you that story about George Washington uh, that was not true, uh, that did not happen. I want you to imagine that it was, and this isn't a lie, it's just imagining. Uh, imagine that it was. Imagine uh, what George Washington uh, would have been going through in that moment if he really had cut down the tree and he's starting to realize, I should not have done that. Like, Dad is going to be ticked at me. And as he comes to his father, the original story, you may remember from the very beginning, said that he bravely said, I cannot tell a lie. I did cut it down. The reason that was brave, or would have been brave if it happened, was because there was fear behind it. There's this uncertainty, man, I just did something that I shouldn't, and I don't know how he's going to respond to me. I'm nervous as all get out, but I'm going to be brave, and I'm going to tell the truth and hope it all pans out. And I want you to imagine when we come to our Heavenly Father as liars, as deceivers, when we come to him, do we have to come like bravely? Do we have to come wondering if he'll receive me? Wondering if he'll give me a hug and have this sentimental moment like Mr. Washington did with him? Do we have to wonder that? Do we have to be fearful of what his opinion of us is going to be? And I hope that you know from, from this word and from the rest of God's word that the answer to that is no. We come to him full well knowing what we've done wrong and deceiving others and confessing it to him. But we know because of Christ. 
He will receive us gladly. He will not crush us. He will not continue to see us as an abomination and send us to hell, but he will receive us with gladness and say, thank you for coming to me. Thank you for confessing. And then he'll help us to obey. He'll help us to change. He'll help us to become truthful people. We do not need to come to him in fear or with bravery, but come to him in broken confidence that Christ has been crushed by my deceit and that he will bring me forgiveness. Amen.